Episode 73, Liam Collins. Welcome to the Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless, dragging down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Announcing now the Alpha Ultimatum. Eight-week training that you can take on men from anywhere all over the world coming this winter. Get to the podcast. Okay, guys, we have a really interesting one, and I guarantee you will not have heard an interview like this before. Uh, because this is a, a hidden gem I found from one of my old buddies from university. Um, he's done all sorts. We're just trying to classify it. He's definitely an entrepreneur. Um, he's got a background in property empire. Um, he's a very high level, level athlete. Um, he's a street performer. He's got to finals of Britain's Got Talent. Italy's Got Talent. He's the face of disco. He can bust the move beautifully. Um, he does all sorts. He's GB bobsleigh, uh, 400 hurdles, ranked second in the world um, for Masters hurdles. Yeah, he's just smashing it. So first we have Liam Collins, and are you ready to awaken your alpha this morning? I'm ready. Just to clarify, it was street performer, not strip performer. <laughs> I'm sure you've done I, that as well. <laughs> Although I did do a stint at Stringfellows for my sins at some point. Um, no longer <laughs> I knew that it. part of my life. I knew it, but that... that does not knowing you that does not surprise me in the slightest. That's it would be more of a surprise if that didn't happen at some stage. <laughs> Blimey! So um, apart from that little addition, is there anything else you'd like to add to your bio? Um, no, no. Let's let's crack on. Well, there's, there's far too, we haven't got enough time to add everything, and uh, I'm sure it will it'll come out throughout the course oh, of this. Brilliant. So obviously you've gone across a lot of diverse crazy awesome fun things and it's definitely an approach to life but is there a sort of an alpha or success quote that you like to live your life by and sort of that has led you to all this all these different areas and going to a high level in all of them it seems um well i wouldn't say there's an exact exact quote it's really just a case of uh, i was certainly i was born blessed with quite a few skills i was very <laughs> lucky in that respect and i've always tried to fulfill my potential in all of them and that that usually means that there's a compromise across the board because you can never do yeah. everything as well as you could do. And, and sometimes in the past, um, some of the biggest mistakes I've made have also been because of the compromise that you make. So I try to do my best in everything I do with the, with the time we've got. And I've just, yeah. I've just been really lucky as well, you know. Definitely. So, so sometimes with all this, I mean, this, this happens to a lot of people who are creative and stuff. Do you sometimes spread yourself a little bit too thin? I'm sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's hard it's hard not to. Yeah. Um, but uh, and being organised is the key, without a doubt. You know. Definitely. Well, this is our origin question. How did you uh, get from being a little little lad to all this craziness? And uh, well, you wouldn't have believed me if I'd told you what was coming for you, or you might have. So, where are you originally from? Um, how was how was the journey to get to sort of this point today? Well, I've got an interesting tale for you because. I think the birth of the alpha, if you like, was also the explosion of the ego for me, which <laughs> at the time was a great journey and a great roller coaster. As I was say, the ego can be used as a tool. I think it's definitely it's essential, essential to be in there, definitely. I totally agree, but only if you've got good people around you and if you're, you're well aware yourself of the time of the the dangers of the ego. Oh yeah, like if people you're not don't aware be an idiot. Of it, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a downfall. And 
I struggled at school, to be honest. I was uh, Liam, I was where, are you, where are you from? Originally, I was born in London, lived abroad in the Middle East with my family. Dad was a civil engineer, so we lived in Oman and Mexico and had a great childhood. So a lot of the world, very healthy upbringing. Yeah. I've got three other brothers and a sister. And when I went to uh, uh, the Royal Grammar School in Newcastle, which is a very um, high standard private school, and all my brothers went there, I, I particularly struggled. And I was literally yeah. on another planet. I was just <laughs> a couple of months before the exams, it started to click in the place that, hang on, these... These aren't that difficult. This is just, a, it's really just an elaborate memory test. Yeah, so, uh, oh, that, you, you nailed it then. Because I used to cram and yeah, and then actively try and clear out the information so I had room for the right. next stuff. And I left the wrong Blimey. grammar school because I wasn't doing well at it. And they weren't really topics that I particularly um, enjoyed. I loved art, but it, the other ones, chemistry and classical civilization, was it was real headbender. Going hey, it sounds like my A-levels. A I, I loved art. <laughs> the other ones yeah, were like... I, lo I loved it, but I... I didn't mind. I didn't like being told what to paint. Mind, I did. I oh. was doing my own thing and then tried to squeeze it into the brief retrospective. That's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, re re retrospectively redo the notebook. But anyway, I, I left school um, with a bit of a tough time because no one really left left school to go to college. It was kind of a oh, what's what's going on there? A bit of a loser's track. But I I went to time out college after leaving the school, and it was it was a refreshing change because it was a mixed. Mixed school, a well, mixed college, sixth form college, and everyone who was there had chosen to be there to do their A levels. No one had to be there. Yeah, that took some balls to you know, not take the comfy road and stay at your your lovely school. It did because it would have been essentially a com more comfortable road, even though how bad I was doing. It yeah. would have been a more comfortable road just to go with the grain and get probably three C's or two C's and a D or something. And yeah. and I remember just being really depressed. My mum just said, "Look, if you want to leave, leave, you know. And if you want to go, we'll we'll support all that." So I left in the April. Took some time out. I went over to Guyana, British Guyana, where my dad was, and I trained on the beach there. They had a lovely, massive beach nice. of rock hard what sand. Was, what was your dad doing out there? Just <laughs> well, he's a, he's a civil engineer, and okay. all of, most of Guyana is below sea level, which means if nature had its way, it would all be awash with water. Came back, went to Time Out College in September, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, I was suddenly the SWAT of the class. So <laughs> from a confidence point of view, it was like, hey, I quite like this. Plus, there was there was mixed. It was the first time I'd ever been yeah. in the same room as girls. Wow, I'm 18, I'm 18 years old, and it's the first time I've ever been in the same room as girls studying Man, and, must, even, and even socialized. You must have been like a kid in a candy shop. Blimey. It was great. It was amazing <laughs> for my confidence. And it came at the same time as I became English school's champion for the hurdles. Um, I was the, the, the British number one. And so all that was coming at once. I was getting a lot of press in the Northeast, which is all, all good for the ego. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I've got a serious girlfriend as well. And then I start dancing in, in Newcastle. A friend of mine gets, <laughs> gets me a job dancing at a 70s night in the old John Travolta get-up. Uh, 70s is your night. thing, man. you got the moves, definitely. Well, I think, I think I'm from the wrong era, definitely. <laughs> You know, and uh, so I went along there, had a great time. It was only a few quid an hour. It was about three pounds an hour, if I remember right, back in 1997. <laughs> hey, man, went, no, no one would pay me to dance. They might pay me not to dance. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. And it was, I did that twice a week, sometimes three times a week, around the Northeast with the triple ads and would go to the, the clubs and do it. it. It paid for me to do athletics. Yeah. But it meant, essentially for me, I had to be unbelievably organized because I had to maintain a full-time relationship, which was great. I had to maintain a full-time athletics training regime to become the British number one. I had to maintain a full-time academic regime, and I ended up getting three A's. I was going to say, you must have done well dancing, yeah, to get into Loughborough. Yeah. yeah, and I ended up starring in the Coca-Cola advert as the groom at the end of that. So all this happened in one 
Yeah, in 1997, and then then bled over slightly into 98. But it was the start of the awakening of, wow, I'm a British champion. I'm an academic, which was like me, an academic. (laughs) Suddenly it was like, hang on, because I was applied to Loughborough, and it was like, hang on, suddenly you can go go anywhere. Yeah. If you want with that, you know, go anywhere you want. So it was suddenly a case of reassessing the self-concept that I'd had for so many years. I was going to say, yeah, the the belief must have really kicked in then. And then it sounds like you know you start you're aware of the opposite sex. You got a time <laughs> You know, and all this was, and I was really disciplined. I was really organised. It came natural. It was never a sacrifice to me at the time. Being organised and in, an incredible concentration span. So you know, one of these guys I'll, who I'll, would just go in a room, I'd kind of lock the door, and yeah. it would be you know morning. I'd say right, good night, and I'd be in there all day, and I wouldn't have a problem. You know, it was it was like I suppose for some people they'd have to do four caffeine shots every two hours and for me it just came natural i had a high level of testosterone at a young age <laughs> oh so man yeah. around 18 18 19 20 yeah it was mine was off the chart i was <laughs> yeah, like a caged so animal <laughs> eating like crazy very competitive uh, and i think it was the fear as well the fear of not getting the grades i needed for loft brother fear yeah. was an incredible motivator of suddenly thinking i'm not going to get there and i needed three c's to give me a low offer because of the, yeah, the sporting definitely. achievements uh, and so I, I worked really hard. I didn't even go to college a lot of the time when I, I thought I'm going to do better teaching myself a lot of this <laughs> stuff. So I did that and got the grades. And the grades, I suddenly decided, actually, I really want to study communications and, uh, and media and whatnot. Yes. And I, so I, they said, well, you're going to have to take a year out. I took a year out. So I contacted a, a friend, a good friend of mine, a lad called Enoch Borozinski, who lived in Reno, Nevada. He came over and stayed with us during the Hexham International. Politely said at the end, you know, if you ever want to come over, let me know. So now naive me, 19 at the time, didn't realize that you had to have a visa and you had <laughs> to have, I had a £5,000 in the account. What am I going to do? So I thought, out of the blue, which I remember revising and sitting down, and I doodled on a notepad for no apparent reason, a stick man doing John Travolta with a crowd watching with an amp and sound system. And it was basically me busking, the thing I've been doing for the last 16 years. Yeah. It was me street performing. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go busking in London. And rather than my mom, like a lot of moms saying, you know, what? No son of mine. Yeah. You know, all this private schooling. What are you doing? And so she's instead said, right, well, I'll get the I'll get the bus down with you. You're going to need an outfit. And my dad then, being the engineer, said, <laughs> Well, you're going to need a sound system, so we're going to need to build that and on wheels. And so that's the sort of family I'm from, that where everyone awesome, comes together yeah. and says, "Right, we're going to make sure Liam gets the money he needs." So I went down to London, got robbed on the second day down there, which wasn't great. <laughs> Jesus. And wake up call. Oh, um, but I, I was, I started working, and I had, I only had a, like a three-minute show of the best of the moves I had, which I ran yeah. out very quickly. But. Within a week of doing it, uh, the weird thing that happened was I got a bit ill. I realized that it's it's okay money. It's great money for an 18-year-old for pocket money. Yeah. Uh, but it was not going to get me the 5000 I needed in time. But then outside, I was dancing outside Warner Brothers Cinema under the overhang at Leicester Square. I was going to say, Liam, it, the, I suppose the important thing that you had that a lot of people don't have at that um, age is you had a very strong why. You know, a lot of a lot of young people are like, oh yeah, I would, I would want to earn some money, you know, for bits and bobs. But like, you've literally got a, a deadline that you can't really move. You're going to miss the opportunity. It's like, right. you've got to do something with your talents to make some cash at that stage. Yeah, I mean, it was a mixture of, of guts and also a bit of disillusion because at the time I thought I was great, you know. It was like, I was yeah, going to say, was, how's your ego doing at this stage? <laughs> ego, I was riding high on the hog. The ego was massive. <laughs> you know, 
I look back now and think, hey, I was absolutely shite, you know? <laughs> I was but rubbish. You was um, Bert, but, at the time, you was Bertie Big Bollocks, and that's what, yeah, you, need, but that's what you needed. You need that kind of ego at that, as an 18-year-old to, to get out there. That's not a, you know, if that, anyone had told me that'd be that someone's nightmare. Good, you know, if anyone had said, hey, by the way, you're really not very good, <laughs> um, I'd have not done anything, you know? So um, it was great that everyone kept their mouths shut and humoured me. People <laughs> were probably putting in thinking, oh, bless them. On the seventh day, I'd, I'd, funny enough, the one day where I didn't have any clean underwear, so I went commando, <laughs> and I'm in these bottle green, spray-on tight nylon flares. Oh I go God. to Leicester Square, I'm doing Russian Cossacks and the crotch splits. <laughs> nightmare. So I, I grabbed my grandma's shopping trolley, which has got a car oh amplifier, a motorcycle battery and some speakers, a Walkman, and the village people. And I'm thinking, oh. right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weasel off into the tube with no one seeing by behind. That's me done. I'm going back up to Newcastle. I'm calling it a day. I'm giving it my best shot. It is what it is. And then the next day in the newspaper, uh, there was an article all about how this young lad, Britain's number one hurdler, was busking in the streets of London to raise the money needed to go to America, get the best coaching to get to the Olympic Games. Oh, and it was in the man. Evening Standard, double page spread. Of course, everyone on the tube in London reads the Evening Standard. So one, there's this guy called Tommy Lloyd, who was the manager or the director of Ladbrokes Casinos. Just pure fate. And he yeah. sees this and he thinks, bloody hell, that's the guy I walked past in Leicester Square. I wanted to get him to come and do a, a Michael Jackson impersonation at the opening night of our casino. Because they had an opening night of a casino in Tottenham Court Road. That is absolutely they, awesome. They already, yeah, they already had a share impersonator at Tom Jones. I danced for seven minutes at the opening night in front of all the celebrities. There was a British athletics team, a New Zealand rugby team. There was all these huge celebrities in the Earth Galleries of the National History Museum. Did my stint. They, they put me up at the Hilton because they owned the Hilton at the time in Europe. <laughs> and then I flew off to Reno, had an amazing time there. And I came back and I, I was third at the World Championship Trials for decathlon. Um, moved up to the decathlon course. Wasn't as good as the vault as you are. So, uh, <laughs> One of my downfalls. I was a one-trick uh, pony, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what an amazing way to meet some sponsors. I was going to so say, every, yeah. That's... So every year after that, I was at Loughborough. I do my um, do my athletics, do my training. Yeah, I couldn't believe this when I found out. Yeah, this is nuts. Yeah, carry on, sorry. And no, no, it's fine. Um, I mean, it's great for you to interpret what I'm doing from, uh, from, the, from the alpha point of view. Well, I was going to say, that this sounds like your awakening moment, just when it, like, you was almost, you was on the verge of quitting. But the important thing for me listening in is you were out there and that's how you get opportunities. You've got, I mean, you got that massive opportunity because you'd been busting your gut on the, on the randomly right. for yeah, seven days it. and that's done something truth. out of the ordinary. And that's the truth yeah. because of the, you know, people say, oh, you're so lucky, you, you know, I don't but think behind so. every bit <laughs> of luck, there is always a bit where you put yourself in the situation to receive it. It was an incredibly tough time. I was on my own. You know, all my acts now, whenever I dance, is a double act. I was on my own at the time. Um, you know, and London's a scary place for a young 19-year-old. Yeah. who's really never, never been down there. So after that, every year, I would go out. I would work my backside off, busking with whoever I could get. So it was either a girlfriend or a friend or whoever I could get, my brother. No, I've, yeah, help, I've seen you rope some people into it, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because I thought, I'm not going down there on my own again. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it with a partner. Well, I was walking I'm, in town in Crawley. I and I, yeah, I walked past and you were busking in Crawley, which is, you know, like most, yeah. almost three hours from Loughborough. And this was probably in the summer, <laughs> the summer top, break. Top gig, that one, mind. I will admit, Crawley, top oh, gig. Oh, man, <laughs> I uh, bet it was. <laughs> eventually, it got to the point where 
um, I was making enough money in the summer to pay for the entire um, entire season of athletics. You know, me, I would go back to Loughborough. I didn't have any, uh, I didn't need any help from parents. I did it all myself, and still had the odd student loan as normal, yeah. just because you can. Um, but I, I did it, did it myself, and I was I was going to be living in Loughborough for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I was sick of paying rent. And I said, I'm paying rent, you know, you know, a fortune every month to a landlord. And a friend of mine said, yeah, yeah, you know, in the property market's going up, you should get your own place. I thought, well, this is a much better idea. And I bought the first house there. It was about 72 grand. Put the deposit down. Yeah. This is when the banks were lending 85%. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were lending it, not based on your income, approvable income. It was on, if you were renting it, what's the rental income? Yeah, so, of course, in Loughborough, because everyone's oh, renting it's on such a, room a great by place room. to have a house. Yeah. By the time I'd finished renovating it, my friend said, "Oh, you should have it revalued. It'll have gone up in value." I knew I was just learning. I knew nothing yeah. about this. The mortgage company sent a value around. They said, "Yes, yeah, you've got um, you've got thirty thousand pounds we can lend you." And I was like, "I don't want debt. What does this mean?" And they said, "Well, your your uh, your payments will go up by hundred and fifty pounds or something like that." And I thought, "Well, hang on. Let's do the maths here. If I'm getting six hundred pounds a month income." And my payment goes up from two fifty to four hundred. I'm still making profit. Yeah. I've got thirty grand back in my hand. I can buy another house. There you go. And I thought, <laughs> right, let's do it. Well, that so was the gold, I, the good era of like properties. Yeah, like you say, they were giving the, the they, good era. Yeah, they were yeah. giving uh, mortgages, like you say, to like they were just chucking anyone, them away. It anyone. Got, it, yeah, you, it got to like you only had to put five percent down, and even. Not well, even that I in some out, cases. I found out how you didn't need to put anything down. Yeah, I, I managed know, to do that, but that's that was kind of the problem because then everyone was buying it and right, they, yeah, and it right, just messed up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, what they say when the when the dust boot man starts telling you about property, it's time to get out of drill. I was pretty close. <laughs> now to cut a long story short, I got up to about nine houses. Yeah. And it became a living nightmare bet, because yeah of the administration but the day before the olympic trials when i was fourth for athens and i should have really qualified i was in amazing shape top 10 in the world at the start of the season and should have qualified for the athens games which is a huge regret of mine yeah. but i was in ikea lifting and humping huge uh, amounts of furniture and wardrobes the day before damn. right not the usual practice so i was trying to be a good landlord and I was trying to be a good athlete, and I was trying to be a good businessman. And again, as we said at the beginning, spreading yourself thin. Yeah. Ultimately, I was fourth. For something like the Olympics and that that very high level, you've got to be mentally in it, and you've got to literally dedicate yourself to that one thing as an athlete. The the easiest bit in the world is turning up for training and doing the training ten out of ten. That's the easy part. Yeah. The hardest bit for me was doing nothing, was going home, playing PlayStation, watching TV, all the stuff I would love to do now. But back then, I couldn't do it. I couldn't switch off. The way I worked it out was if I have enough houses to pay for me to do athletics, I can do it forever more yeah. and love what I do, just keep training and keep doing it and reach my potential. But it came to the point where I was leafleting for my rooms, bending down on the same leg each time to put under the doors. And I did the whole of the tower blocks, two of them. Oh, there must have been right. 400 rooms. And I felt fine. Next day, I went to training, pulled the hamstring that I'd been bending down on. It wasn't a good time. It was a terribly bad time. And they left the track at the Olympic trials for Athens. And I got in my van with my dance partner, Richie. And I said, come on, we're going for two, three months. And we're going to make as much money as we possibly can. Really, really difficult that whole summer yeah. because of the failure. And because of nothing meant anything. It was like the vacuum had 
been sucked out of it, you know, life didn't mean anything yeah. for me anymore, and it was horrible, so, um, came back, so, but, but again, every month, property took its toll, because yeah. of the greed of myself, and really, I did what is incredibly important, one of the most important points I'll make is, I made a massive miscalculation, right, I thought that for me to be happy, self-fulfilled, yeah. I needed thousands of houses, and the reason being is, uh, I was around in the property industry, first of all, I don't think I met anyone good in the property industry, I mean, it's full of pricks, wangers, arseholes, <laughs> just absolute, you can do your editing on that bit, but no, no, they, they are, I mean, idiots from the people I met, right, I met a lot of pe nice people who wanted to be in the property industry, yeah. but the people who were in it, yeah. what a bunch of pricks, and I thought, I wonder if I'm one of those pricks, you know, am I becoming one of those pricks? And yeah. I, I didn't think so. Um, I thought, you know, I'm just doing what I want to do and, and trying to provide a future for myself. And, and for my family, the problem was it was just eating into my athletics every time. And it came to 2006 and it just I just had to knock athletics on the head. And we had 30 houses, student properties, times that by four or five for the number of phone calls you're going to get every other day for what's yeah. going oh, wrong, how nightmare. to change a light bulb and whatnot. Oh, I've, I've had that with it. Yeah, they had someone sent around the electrics and it was literally, yeah, to change a light bulb. So it's like yeah. 50 quid to change a light bulb. That's expensive. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. We went on to build a 20 million pound uh, property pension fund, which was in the recession, so we couldn't get it filled. We, we ultimately secured a 100 million pound contract with a company called Matterhorn. It was for 20 million a year for five years. And uh, and we bought a house, a million pounds, which is probably worth about a million pound now in London. Um, and it came to, we, we'd taken on a lot of debt because what yeah. we found out was we had a system where if someone lent us 30 grand, we only needed that money for essentially about a six week period because we only needed to buy the property with a 15% deposit, mm -hmm. renovate it, remortgage it, pull the money out and pay them back but because we had such interest to pay them back we could afford to pay crazy interest rates we could probably afford to pay at some point we were paying 52 percent apr Lovely and we brought it hell. down and down and down and we could make it work for that which was yeah. the wild thing we, were, we could pick up free houses with an income using other people's money and it worked so the what happened was our family members started saying this is brilliant this is alchemy how do i get on board so we got family members involved close friends best friends and then oh, of course, no. beyond that, circles of people who wanted to help their families. Yeah. You've got to see this guy. You've got to meet this guy, Liam. He's getting people free houses with income coming in to pay the mortgage. Oh, man, that's some responsibility as well. When it, if it all goes pear-shaped as well, oh, that's horrible. Well, well, is, well it did go pear-shaped. Yeah. The problem, when it came to the credit crunch, people were putting in non-refundable deposits up front to get on this wait list. And we had, eventually, we had £4 million invested in this. And then the credit crunch came in 2008, and the banks pulled all the mortgages of the 85% yeah, range, and 80%, 70 right down. And so we had to go back to these people. And this is where I made the biggest mistake in my entire business career, because a good businessman would have gone back and said, I'm really sorry, you guys have invested in a product which requires an 85% mortgage. Now, I don't provide the mortgages, the bank does. But I'm sorry, if you can't get that mortgage, that's not my problem. Right? If you can't get that mortgage, we're not going anywhere. As soon as the mortgages come back, we will find you the property. You can buy it in your name. We'll renovate it and we'll let it out for you. Not a problem. But until then, your non-refundable deposit's gone because that's what it is. It's a yeah. non-refundable deposit. That, yeah, I got stung like that. And it was because of the mortgage. The mortgage was pulled. So that's right. that's that. So yeah, it's painful. Thought, 
you know, bastard. What yeah. about investment? But what you weren't about to do is go, well, I'm going to take these guys to court because you go, it's an unrefundable deposit. You know, that's yeah. the way, that's life, and that's it. Now, a good businessman would have said that to them. I wasn't a good businessman. I try to do the nice thing, which mm. was, hang on, lads, don't worry. Hey, I'm going to the moon. We've got hundreds of millions of pounds worth of future investments, mm. future contracts, pension funds, joint ventures, you name it. We're not going anywhere. So I tell you what I'll do. I'll give you all a promissory note, which says in six months' time to a year, we will pay you all that money back. And if we oh. don't, you can bankrupt us. How does that sound? So all these people went, bloody hell. Yeah, all right. That, uh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm not, oh my goodness. So yeah. we bust the company, lifted all of those people out to protect them, and took all the hit over my own personal head. Now I thought, hey, not a big deal. We're going to be making so much money paying these people back. Yeah. It's not a problem either. We've got the equity commercially in the property portfolio because of the rental income. And so we took on even further debt. And then in, and what happened was this one investor, eventually, he wanted exclusivity. He said, look, I want to be your only client because how do I know I'm getting the best properties if you've got all these other ventures mm -hmm. going on? But he said, fair comment. And if you're putting in that amount of money, you deserve exclusivity. So we'll give you it. And two years after meeting the guy and two years it took to get the deal over the line, signed, sealed and all the rest of it, he'd spend £100,000 on the contract. So we knew the guy was in for real. Blimey. And then he pulls out a guy what? who apparently has never pulled out of a deal in his life. This is the guy who sold Earl's Court. He's worth four hundred million on the on the Times Rich list, probably more now. And he pulled out of the deal with no explanation oh and, said, and said, "You know, well, his explanation was, I can't get the financing at the price I wanted at, so I'm pulling out." And we then knew that was it. Proper that businessman. Was, he's was, just he's just followed the numbers, isn't he? No, no sort of loyalty. It's just numbers just for him. Said, yeah. just said, I can't get the can't get the price at the want. I'm going to walk away from this one. And uh, and so all of a sudden, it was a case of going shit that's it we, there's no chance we can make these interest payments yeah we can't done. make the mortgage payments that that is it so we unless we get everyone to agree to a five-year deal to allow us to pull through this that's it so we said we wrote to everyone and even had a sit down with as many people as we could and we said you know for all we're incredibly sorry about what's happened you know we have made some mistakes there's no mistake about it you know our egos were massive Yep. We were trying to grow too quick at times, you know, and, and made a and lot you were, of mistakes. And you weren't alone there. That, that, I think that was a, that was a huge we were, problem you know, in the we, UK. We said, listen, there's only one way out of this. And that's if everyone agrees to a five-year agreement, let us get on with business as we are. We will come through this. And in the meantime, our properties will be safe in a trust for all of you. You can yeah. have them all. All the income, all the properties, including my own home in London, you can have them all. And we got 87%, I think it was, of agreement. And for the ones who didn't agree, because they thought we were sitting on millions of pounds, yeah. it only took one guy to rock the ship. And yeah. that's what he did. One man said, I don't think you're telling the truth. He said, I think you've got a millions of pounds stuffed away and I'm going to bankrupt you. I said, if you bankrupt me, I will lose all my properties, but you will lose, everyone will lose all what they've invested. And he said, well, I'm going to chance my luck. So he, he bankrupted us. The company went into liquidation. I lost all 30 houses and a property in London and uh, and had to go back to, to end it. Well, I'd, I'd always kind of kept entertaining going. You've got such an interesting story. and we've, we've only just scratched the surface. I know what's coming. So I want to jump a little bit. So obviously this is rock bottom, but yeah, how on earth did... Yeah, let's let's jump to sort of the faces of disco because then obviously a few years, I've left uni and stuff and that's when I sort of left the story with you initially, athletics and property. And then I see you pop up on 
on TV on Britain's Got Talent and that well I see you basking and then I see you on you know I think I saw you on Celebrity Big Brother or something like that you went in dancing there you was on all over the TV and I was oh, thinking oh my goodness we made the masks in the basement of one of my student properties the night before the, the, the heat. Went on there, got four yeses from Cowell, Piers Morgan, Amanda Holden, and Kelly Brook. But on the street, the show is 25 minutes long. Yeah. We only had a minute 30 to show what we could do. So we said, well, let's just do the masks. Speed it up, yeah. And then let's take the piss of Simon Cowell at the end, see how it goes down. If he buzzes us, well, at least we've knocked him down a peg or two. Yeah. So, <laughs> Brilliant. Now, the next stage is it not actually the semi final. You go to London where you stand in a line like the firing and they tell you whether you're through or whether you're not. And it's that whole oh, yeah. drama. I said to Richard at that point, we're out. He said, why do you think that? I said, because there's two fat blokes here to the left, a bloke and a son, who uh, Oh, was that Stavros Flatley? I didn't know at the time. I said, they can't <laughs> be doing anything much. And then there's a woman who looks like a Glaswegian bingo caller uh, she can't be doing much. I said, and you look at the lineup. I said, there's no way. Is that Susan there. Boyle as well then? Exactly. <laughs> so I said, there's no chance that no, we're going through. Look at the lineup here. And they go, but you're all through. And I was like, what the hell? But then we find out in the news that this woman is this incredible singer. Susan Boyle yeah. has taken the nation by storm. And she's, she's about to come on. So at that point, um, it becomes very evident that it's pretty much a, a two-horse race between diversity and Susan Boyle. Yeah, that was a very strong year, man. There was about 40 million people watching Susan Boyle. So we got so many bookings after it that it just, it was brilliant. And we had a great time after that. And for me, at the time, being going through how much hardship I was going through, one thing I will say to end on is it shattered my ego, which was the best thing that's ever happened to me yeah. because it needed to be shattered. It needed to, I needed to come right back down to rock bottom to realize and reassess what actually makes me happy? Because I thought I had to have thousands of houses and be yeah. this, that, and the other, and all this. And I suddenly, moving back in, I moved back in with my mom and dad up in Newcastle. I've got my dad, you know, this is, this is a couple of years, I've got my dad's old um, van, which I'm living in, traveling around. I thought, I'm ha why am I happier than I've ever been? And this wasn't a manic happiness of, yeah. like, there's a depression somewhere closed. <laughs> this was a very balanced, very pleasant, this is... This is what I was supposed to do. Some people come up when a performer say, listen, I've, I've been suicidal and that's the best laugh I've had in weeks. I thought, I tell you what, this makes a nice change from having people call up saying, where's my money? Where's yeah. my interest? Where's my money? I'm taking you to court. I'm taking you to the clinic. I know I'm this is one of them. On the internet yeah. about you. You know, so this is one of them stories, Liam. It sounds like, you know, be careful what you wish for. And like, be careful. Make, yeah. a, make an appraisal. Work out on a basic spreadsheet. What makes you happy? And usually it's the things that made you happy when you were 10 years old. Yeah. I like keeping fit. I like being around my family. I love my brothers. I love my parents. I love working out. I love putting the spikes on and running. Well, how can I do that for the rest of my life without changing too much? What do you need to get by to make you happy? Do you need the materialistic things? Some you do, most you don't. Yeah. You die with nothing. You're born with nothing. The stuff you collect in the middle usually has very, very little... Um, you know, impact on your happiness. It has an impact on your ego and on your self-worth, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have any impact really on your true happiness. Of course, I've gone back to athletics after taking years out. I went to bobsleigh, represented my country in Europe, got helped get my team to the Olympic Games. I so these are all home. other stories in their own right, definitely. I just, but... got, I just come back from Turkey and got, got married in Hungary, flew to Turkey, got four goals at the European Championships and a British record, and think, this, this, is, uh, this has cost me less than I ever spent on business. And I love it. I'm happier than I've ever been. 
I'm incredibly sorry for what the, for the people who invested in me at the time when my yeah. ego was enormous because you know I wish they could be sharing the happiness I share now, but sadly they still pay for the for what the mistakes I made. Mm. That's a terrible thing, but. I've learned the important way, and I also was the one who lost the most out of everything. I lost, people lost one investment. I lost everything well, I ever had. So I they, think the important thing as well, looking in, looking da- into it from a, like an outside perspective, you know, obviously you lost everything, but like you said, you start with nothing, you finish with nothing. What you've got to take away from the situations is your own unique skill set, your personality, your drive, your attitude, because if, you, if you've got that and that is set and that is a solid foundation, you know, if you lose everything, you can come back. You can you can go off in another direction. It's you know it's not the end of your life as painful well, right. as painful sure as it is. When you've got no, when I look around, I say when I've got nothing in terms of nothing, I've got more than what most people could ever want for in a lifetime. I mean, with the with the love of God, with the people I've got around me, the wonderful wonderful people I've got around me now, and always had around me, but put them to one side while I concentrated on people who really you know, should have meant nothing to me, you know, shite hawks and sales and this, that and the other. And I was one of them. You've got to surround yourself by great people. Like some of your guests have said so very eloquently, more so than I can today, <laughs> um, that, that, they, that you've got to keep it real. You've got to keep your emotions real. Know what you're about, good and bad. Be aware of the bad side yeah. of it because it can come out at any time and never get too full of yourself because I'm undergoing, I'm achieving some of the best things I've ever achieved. And every time the ego creeps back to tell me how great I am, I say, no, you're not. Yeah. You're just a 35-year-old bloke having a good time. I mean, this this interview, has not. we're not going to do the yin-yang round. We're not going to do a complete blank round. Maybe we have to have you on again in another six months a year. Who knows where you'll be? But I just want to sort of, <laughs> I do want to squeeze in. I just want to bring it all together because I knew this this interview would be all about the story because it's such an interesting one. This is basically our alpha round to finish. And I just want to get amongst all this is there like we try and get a book recommendation at least a book recommendation along this journey or anything is there ever a book it could be to do with property it could be to do with just life in general well, the best one will have to be think and grow rich napoleon hill ah. because of the spiritual side of that as well of the collective consciousness that you can tap into through meditation and self-reinforcement there's absolutely no doubt about it the best in the world for all some of them use psychedelics the best geniuses in the world and I'm nowhere putting myself in that category, but the genius of the world tapped into something which is non-physical. And if you go in there with the right questions, meditate and allow peace in your mind and empty mind, you can get the right answers and you can tap into things which are not there in books. You know, they're the what's always been, what's always will be. And I do believe that's a great book. And in terms yeah. of uh, whether I'll ever write one, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment, which is 30 chapters deep. Um, and it's coming out at about, well, possibly Christmas time, possibly shortly after. It's not actually my life story. It's a life story of Tim Montgomery. It was, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know Tim Montgomery, yeah. former world record holder for athletics for the 100 meters, just uh, finished a five-year jail sentence for um, dealing in heroin and uh, dealing in fake check frauds. And he was the fastest man in the world. And uh, um, I hooked up with him after he got out. And he's, 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 he's been absolutely broken. He's turned his life around since. Found Mate, God. I would read that book. And, uh, Is there any productivity tools that you like to use or use regularly to help you be productive and live this lifestyle? Could be your box files. I'm pretty old-fashioned old in that I still like to keep notebooks. I still like yep. to keep training diaries. Of what, and that's the main thing in my life at the moment. I yeah. still like to keep accounts on basic Excel uh, Excel spreadsheets. So uh, sadly, nothing, nothing. Uh, adventure. Well, keep it there. simple, definitely. Take it back to there are basic things that make you happy. There are basic things that make you well. 
There are basic things that keep your life in order and your and your accounts in check. And just try and keep it basic and strip out the bullshit. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, less is more. And yeah, less you gain from yeah, you gain from more from removing things. Really, that's what people like to add things to their life. You've got to try and remove remove you have, the crap. You've got to keep it. You've got to keep it clean and remove things. You have to. We like to get a recommendation for an Alpha I should interview very soon or next. Um, it could be one of your own personal, someone that who you know who you think would be an absolute alpha from any area of life. It could have been, a, it could be your mate Subo, or wow, and, another another alpha. I tell you who would be brilliant. Yeah, a really really good is Richard Edmonds because he was my partner in Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, I feel like I'm nominating someone for the Ice Bucket Challenge here. <laughs> um, he was my partner there. He's a very successful man. He's someone who I frowned upon when I was at my height of egotistical arrogance <laughs> and thought he's going nowhere i'm going to the moon because of how slow and steady he was in reality it's the opposite um but i'll tell you who else you get on you definitely get you you, you should get tim montgomery from america he's in gainesville oh, florida mate i'd you love it if you can tim connect me because as an athletics stories, fan yeah his stories are unbelievable not just for an athletics fan this is a guy yeah. who's been through all the hardships you don't want to ever go through. Yeah. And he's got some absolute gems. And in terms of alpha males, yeah. I don't think there gets any more alpha than a guy. I'm absolutely who's sold, nine, mate. Seven, eight, and beating Morris Green's world record. Oh, he's, man. But for anyone, even people who have no interest in athletics, they can all share the fact oh. that the fastest man in the world is up there with the strongest man in the world. But, yeah. you know, his fall from grace is, I think I, what I can bring to the table is what not to do in life. And a lot of people <laughs> who I know have also shared through the law of attraction, what not to do in life. I think yeah. you've got a lot of better people to tell you what to do, but I can yeah. certainly help you on the not what to do. Well, we, like we just said, we need the yin and the yang. We need the light and the dark. You can't have one without the other. You do, absolutely. So, Liam, thank you so much for today. And the best way people can get in touch with you if they want to hear more now. Email address, liamcollins0 at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, or I'm on Facebook, Liam Collins, same. And Faces of Disco, obviously, we've got the website. We've yep. got the... Uh, there, but that's, that's <laughs> me at the moment, you know, keeping people happy. Wedding, weddings, bar mitzvahs, yep. Well, mate, we need to get on another talk and actually catch up properly. But this has been awesome. This is, I've learned a lot and uh, found out what you've been up to the last few years. Thanks, man. I've really enjoyed it. No, I'll really talk to you it. soon Thanks properly so uh, as well. Because <laughs> if I didn't have another interview, we'd just keep going all day, mate. Right, I will speak <laughs> to you very soon. Thanks. See you later, bud. Thanks very much. See you. Bye. Check out this fantastic podcast. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. If you'd like to sponsor all or any of the Awakening Your Alpha episodes, get in contact. For example, this episode is sponsored by the Alpha Ultimatum coming this winter. This is an eight-week training. We're launching men from anywhere all over the world with your body, your brain, your belief, your balance, and ultimately up-leveling your life in all areas. The Awaken Your Alpha Podcast. Live limitless.